Hi everybody, I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV. We're here in Warsaw, Poland for the Global Forum on Nicotine, the annual conference on safer nicotine products and tobacco harm reduction, celebrating its 10th anniversary. Joining me today is Claire Brown. You're the co-founder and editor of Drink and Drugs News. Tell us about that. That's right. Um, it's a magazine that I set up with my partner Ian Ralph, uh, business partner Ian Ralph. We set it up as a publishing company. Um, we'd both worked in public health publishing before, but the subject of substance use really intrigued us. Um, it didn't fit with public health. It's after public health has failed people really. And the more we looked at this topic, we thought this is something we actually need to create a publication around. So the model that we were used to uh, was creating a free magazine um, funded by the advertising. So that's where we worked in partnership, um, sold the advertising to produce it. We both worked on the content for it. But the more we got to know this audience, the more we realized there was a special reason to, to write about this um, in relation to public health and to keep coming back to public health and thinking, what's, what's going on here? Even the division between alcohol and drugs, it's a false division. There, there's so much to write about. And the more we got to know people working in the sector and affected by all of these issues, the bigger the subject becomes. <laughs> so who's the audience for the magazine, at least when you started? When we started, we were thinking of treatment professionals. So we were thinking of people who work uh, with treatment in rehabs. Um, but as we began to grow this circulation for the free magazine, it was very, very important that it went everywhere uh, where people were working with drug issues. Um, so it went into hostels and prisons, and it strengthened our determination to keep it free of charge because it has to. You can't put a subscription model in front of people and expect them to buy into this. They need to have it right in front of them, landing on their desk, something that they've got to read. And that was our ambition right from the very start. What we weren't expecting and what has really enhanced it is that people affected by the issues who mobilised into user groups, as they were called at the time, um, all over the country, were passionate about having a voice and about the advocacy side of it. And you know, much as we've heard about at this conference being mobilised by people who are using the vapes, it, it was very much the same growth point for us with the magazine and the service user community. And this is based in the UK? It's the, pub the published version is based in the UK, but it's online around the world. So as we began working with different audiences on harm reduction, the magazine has dipped into all kinds of communities and been informed by them as well. Did you find that there was a point where you had to make a choice to step into the advocacy side a bit? No, we very much, it's our determination not to step one way or the other. And this is something that has kept us true to our model right the way through. We, we sit in the middle and we're the focus for debate coming from all sides. So when people say, what do you believe in? Are you abstinence-based? Do you believe in uh, methadone? Do you, you, it's, we don't set the rules, we hear from people who are affected by issues um, and who believe in one model that's worked for them or that they work with and they want to find out more about. So we're, we're the melting pot for all of the ideas. So we hear a lot generally around drug harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the steps? You know, is, is that a side or is it something that's just well recognized overall? 
it's not recognised by everybody, but it's a baseline for us. <laughs> um, you know, and it's very important for the conference that we run for the service users and for the magazine as well. We don't make rules and divisions. Somebody's harm reduction is very different from somebody else's. Um, so we, we, our, our intention is to provide the information um, and to respect people's personal decisions, even down to what they call themselves. <laughs> You know, that it, you talk about stigma in the field and it, it mean, different terms mean things to different people. So we try to be very non-judgmental. So is there a lot of judgment around the issues of drug harm reduction? Oh, very much so, yes. Um, it's not the easiest topic to work with or to write about because some people have very entrenched views. And all you can say is join the debate. And as you write about things and you accept feedback from writing about things, you might change a person's mind, you might not, but you have the conversation. So being that forum for conversation is, I think, terribly important and it enables us to feed to politicians and policy makers and be part of changing policies in the UK. So you're coming up almost two decades now with the magazine. How, walk us through, how has the embrace of drug harm reduction happened? I think that it, it has changed, it's gone backwards and forwards. The arguments have become more nuanced. I think when we started, there was a case of abstinence in this corner, harm reduction in this corner, active users somewhere over here. Um, it's not like that now, but that's not to say it hasn't been a really rocky road in UK politics. Um, the UK government embraced recovery, which meant abstinence at one point, and that set everybody back. It was really, really difficult to get over that and talk about it in sensible terms uh, because recovery means different things to different people and you step on and off that bus as you need to. Um, so we've had to be very determined to just, just keep all channels open um, without disenfranchising people. But we like to think that we talk to everybody. <laughs> so what is a, a good definition of drug harm reduction? Drug harm reduction is making sure that there is a place to go for whatever stage you're at, that the doors are open. Uh, that might mean a medical script, it might mean seeing a doctor to have a methadone prescription or, you know, buprenorphine, whatever. Um, it might mean somebody listening to you um, and talking to you, talking therapies to make sure that you've got the support, the emotional support, the strength. It's making sure that, and for our role in that, is making sure professionals are equipped to be switched on so that they're receptive. Um, you know, and making sure no door is shut and making sure that, that the treatment is fair and very personalised and that it isn't one model suits all. And I think, I think we've got better at that. <laughs> I like to think that, that it's not quite as entrenched as it was and that there's always... And, and I think that the magazine has, has played a part in, in levelling that field for the treatment providers, yeah. So here at the Global Forum on Nicotine, mm. tobacco harm reduction is the mm. kind of the anchor philosophy that drives so much. And for us here at RegWatch covering the issue around vaping, it's become really a, a, an, well, an anchor for, I think, uh, a lot of consumers yeah. of nicotine vaping products. And they yeah. said, hey, yeah. this makes sense. It's, well, I am trying to reduce my harm by moving from a combustible cigarette to to cleaner uh, nicotine. 
Coming from the drug harm side and you start to look at what's happening here, are there similarities? There are great similarities and I also recognize the fight we've got ahead. Um, because smoking is a difficult one to tackle. A lot, of, a lot of people working in the field don't really see it as a problem and that's the first thing that astonished us first off and then it's always just been there. You know, you, could, you always used to be able to recognise a drugs conference by the amount of people standing outside having a cigarette. You know, th there is a cultural barrier. Um, I think it makes so much sense that from our public health roots, we've always seen it as just part of, part of the issue, part of the substances that we address. And the reason it's, so, it's in such heavy focus for us, why it's so important, is that a lot of the people we see who are going into treatment have lung issues, they have COPD. And this is such an enormous part of their health story. Um, and I think the challenge we've got is to make the treatment professionals actually look at that, recognise that, and policymakers as well. I've been trying to do a lung supplement for a long time, um, but getting UK government to take that seriously, it, it makes so much sense to us. You know, these are fundamental issues to, to address and to tackle, you know, spirometry at the clinic entrance, you know, these lung function tests. Um, if you don't look at these issues, then you're tackling something you're not tackling something that could be very simple, very straightforward before you get onto the detail of what script's best for somebody or what maintenance treatment, what, you know, <laughs> what type of rehab, whatever, yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, we get a lot of, it's interesting, I think often we get the feeling that public health is very much all about abstinence when it comes to nicotine. Um, you shouldn't be smoking at all and then oh well we have this vapor product that you know isn't yeah. gonna kill us and oh no you can't have that either you should just quit yeah it sounds like the old-school drug position yeah. renewed with tobacco that's right and it is going back to the pleasure principle isn't it and politicians policymakers are very suspicious of enjoyment <laughs> and it's something that we have written about um, but the, the, there is this thing. It's well, very, you could, you could yeah. probably get a government, <clears throat> excuse me, from public health, somebody from yeah. public health to write you a script or provide you with free government, you know, opioid to try to, you know, wean you off of, you know, heroin. But, you know, try to get an e-cigarette out of them and forget it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's such a simple and straightforward thing to do, isn't it? In terms of health, um, yeah. It makes no sense, so all we can try to do is introduce the topic again and again, write about it, write about the history and how we've been manipulated. You know, when you start highlighting to people they've been treated like mugs, <laughs> it helps, doesn't it? <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about with inside the drug harm, uh, harm reduction community. Mm. Do, they, do they look at tobacco harm reduction as a valid application of the harm reduction theory? I don't think they've embraced it or acknowledged it at all, really, wholesale. <laughs> there might be a few people, <laughs> um, but they don't leap out at you and it's not a mainstream acknowledged thing at all. It's very much seen as over there and I think the industry involvement is, is problematic for them. Oh, you mean big tobacco yeah, being involved? Yeah, I think it's, it's, 
the, I've not seen it embraced on the world stage of harm reduction, let's put it that way. I think it's problematic. I think sponsorship issues get very tricky. Um, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. At a global drug harm reduction conference, is tobacco harm reduction mentioned? Is there a presence? It's, it's not invited on board um, as part of the mainstream programme, no, because of those difficulties. Um, and I think it's a shame. I think there should be that conversation and that debate and that involvement because where do you go if you're not talking to each other? So it does that not, uh, shouldn't that also apply then in the drug harm world if pharmaceutical companies were involved in somehow part of the process? I mean, is there something special about tobacco companies? In the drugs world, it's very clear that they're not allowed to have face-to-face -face with their service users. It's, it's a little bit diff different, isn't it, here? Because you've got consumers talking to the companies involved. So, I don't know. It, it's to do with the money and the sponsorship, and there's something problematic there about the sponsorship side. It's very difficult to untangle. And you, don't ha you can't put your finger on it? Well, I do think that it's just too complicated for them to involve those companies. There's just a suspicion, and it goes with that, that public health tradition. It, it's not straightforward, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the solution to that. It, it's, I can understand why it's become entangled, but I don't understand why there's not more open conversation and dialogue about it, and I think we're in danger of rarefying what harm reduction is. <laughs> you know. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, in terms of traditional harm reduction, we don't take on board that because that sits over there. I mean, you have to embrace harm reduction as what's harmful for a person and what affects their health, don't you? So. Oh, meaning that the drug harm reduction kind of ethos this is, is, what we is yeah. pushing out anything else that might be trying to utilize that same approach. Yeah, uh, there's definitely not that open passageway between tobacco harm reduction and the rest of the drug harm reduction world. Could it be that just the seriousness of you know you know being addicted to street level you know drugs, mm. um, you know you could overdose and die like right now. It's like much more important to be dealing with harm reduction. These are serious issues. They're trying to quit smoking. That's, that's not really a serious well, issue. Well, they might be thinking like that, but when you look at the death rate around the world, that's just not a valid argument, is it? Just because it's more catastrophic within a short time scale doesn't mean to say it's not going to kill you. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think that's a relevant argument at all. I think it's about the sponsorship and the money and the direct contact with tobacco companies. But I, I'm not the person to ask about that, really. Uh, that's a, well, that's just so interesting um, because, of course, um, this group of people here mm. get it on all ends. So we don't get any respect from drug users because they were, because we're talking mm -hmm. with big tobacco. Mm -hmm. We can't, you know, get at the table with WHO or public health in the US or Canada or whatever because we're somehow linked to the tobacco industry. Yeah, yeah. It's really, uh, it's crazy. It I, is crazy yeah. and it's a great shame. And that's where we're determined not to follow that route. And 
Right. I mean, to, to bring it into our mainstream readership and our audience because people should be thinking about these issues. Now, I should say, I mean, I've certainly experienced my share of use of many different things over the years. I'm 10 years sober, so I can, I can certainly say I've gone through some of the issues. And um, nobody ever made me have a drink or use a drug. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was similar for around most drug users. It strikes me that um, public health seems to think that smokers or us vapors were useful idiots of the tobacco industry. And I'd like to remind them that yeah. no tobacco industry made me a smoker. Yeah. I'm not a victim of the tobacco yeah, industry. Yeah. And to hear that drug users have got their you know, nose out of the joint um, because tobacco industry is involved in safer nicotine mm -hmm. in, in business, it just, you know, I'm a bit flabbergasted on that. I don't think I'm talking about the people who are using drugs themselves. I'm mm. talking about the people who are organising to discuss the people who use drugs, which is very different, isn't it? It's I true. think you'd find people who are using drugs and smoking, vaping, very open to vaping, very open to the conversation, which is, you know, our start point for it. We mobilise by popular opinion, people reading the magazine saying, we need this, we want it, we want to know more. I, I, I'm talking really about the people who organize the discussions, you know. The public health people, the people that are involved, yeah. and then, okay, well, that makes more sense. When you look at, you know, the Global Forum on Nicotine and what's going on mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. what's your sense in terms of what's happening and how it might help move the ball forward? Well, I was really impressed uh, to listen to the debate and to realize 10 years of progress here. There's been a lot happening. The wheels have been moving very fast underneath. Um, there's been a lot of mobilisation. I mean, in terms of politics, it's gone back and forth in different countries in a way that's hard to understand, really. Um, politicians seem so reactive. But in terms of progress, I think that we're all talking and there's such a parallel with what's happened in the drugs world. Um, I can see that if we pull in the public health arguments and we look at what people need to do now, I mean, that's my priority, to try and look at what we can do on the ground to actually save people's lives, make their health better. If you start from that point, it fits in entirely with what we try to do every issue of the magazine. So that's my very small scale take on it. But everything I've heard has been impressive and exciting and the energy generated, something like this. And you've, the fact you've got doctors standing up and, you know, people who work with these issues, they bother to come here to actually say the progress that they've made, um, the strides they've taken and what they've learned off other people and what they've found, different websites and networks and social media. You know, it encourages you a lot. I, didn't, I wasn't sure what we'd expect when we got here, but the fact that there is such a representative forum of public health and health and research it's really grounded in research and good sense. And that's very, very encouraging. So that was surprising, then the level of science, the, the level of uh, public health participation to some extent. Yes, yeah, and that's very important because that's, that's the golden nugget you need <laughs> to just you know, grow that part of the coverage. It really is, it's got to be based on that. When you talk to consumers here, of nicotine vaping products are consumers. That's a different label than say yeah. a, a user, yeah. right? And not only that, but the goal is to not, for most, to not like 
get off of yeah. using your vaping yeah. products. Uh, it's like, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a vapor, I'm gonna be a yeah. vapor the rest of my life. Yeah. Chances are I would have been a smoker for the rest of my life, it yeah. just would have been shorter. I'm gonna be a vapor for the rest of my life. So there's, it's, it's harm reduction, but it's not like... It's different, isn't it's different. it? You're presented as a consumer with choice and you're faced with a market. It's very, very different from being somebody who's labelled as somebody in treatment, who's looking for somebody to listen to you and give you the option that you're hoping for. It is very different. Um, but at the end of the day, we're looking at substances and the substances that affect your body. And you should, you should have that level of choice to be healthier, whatever you are involved with, whether it's drugs, tobacco, alcohol, whatever. You need to have informed choices. You need to know where to go to be healthier. So do you think that THR, uh, tobacco harm reduction, has got a future, one that you'll be writing about a lot more? Definitely, and I think it's part of our responsibility to mainstream this and not have it as this thing that sits over there. You know, even though it's like a conference in another country from ours, we can bring it closer and we can write about these things. We can have a questioning approach to it. Um, and I think we do that through the Public Health Channel. That's exactly where we need to be. It's rooted in public health. And it's not an irrelevance at all. It's, it's bang mainstream to what we're writing about. Yeah.